read something to you before we get started here. But listen to this real carefully. Because part of engaging, equipping, and being empowered means that we have to submit ourselves and be willing to change. Everybody say, I must be willing to change. I need you to touch yourself and anoint your own self. Say, I must be willing to change. Listen to this right quick. When you refuse to change, you end up in chains. Let me say that again. When you or I refuse to change, we end up in chains. Because we as human beings, guys, were custom built for change. Inanimate objects like clothes, houses, and buildings don't have the ability to truly change. They grow out of style and become unusable. How many of y'all got some stuff in your closet right now that's out of style? You can either give it away or hold on to it for another 20 years and it'll come back in style. How many of y'all grew up in the 70s when bell bottoms were in style? How many of y'all know bell bottoms went away then you had skinny jeans and tight legs, boot cut, right? But then all of a sudden, a few years back, what? Bell bottoms came back in style. How many of y'all had a leisure suit? Henry, you ever had a leisure suit? You, you don't know, Henry don't know anything about that. A leisure suit. Leisure suits used to be in style. But then they're, they're out of style. Like, so clothes change. They go out of style. But at any point in time, at any age, any one of us is able to change. I'm going to repeat that. At any point in time, at any age, any one of us is able to change. I don't care if you're 75. I don't care if you're 80 and you've been doing it for 50 years. You have the capacity to change. To change doesn't always mean to do the opposite. In fact, most of the time, it means to add on to or to slightly adjust. The Bible talk, talks about adding to our faith. Can I get a witness? When we are called upon by the Lord to change, listen to me, we will continue to reach toward the same goal, but perhaps in a slightly different way. When we refuse to cooperate Listen to this carefully. When we, when we refuse to cooperate with the change that God is requiring of us, we make chains that constrain and they restrict us. There are three things that we need to know. Uh, we need to know about the future. Number one, it's not going to be like the past. So quit relishing. Thank God for the past. Look back on it. But we ain't going back to the past. It won't be like the past. It's not going to be exactly the way we think it's going to be. And the rate of change will take place faster than we can imagine. The Bible indicates that in the end times, which we're living in right now, change will come about much quicker than ever before in history. And how many of y'all will agree with me that stuff is rapidly changing in the society that we live in right now? They'll think, you know, 25 years ago, we didn't have uh, the type cell phones and devices that we have today. We didn't communicate uh, the way we do today, right? Change has accelerated in these last days. But know this, that we got to realize that change is a part of life. Isaiah 42 and 9 says, the Lord declares, behold, the former things are come to pass and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I will tell you of them. See, the Bible is a book that tells us how to respond to change ahead of time. You can decide in advance how you're going to respond to most situations. So we got to be willing to change, guys. Now, we've been talking about fulfilling our purpose, and let's go back to Proverbs, the 19th chapter, verse number 21, which is our jumping off point. And we look at this passage scripture here, and I want you to, I want you to focus on it. Because so many times, guys, we read scripture, and we just gloss over it. 
We read scripture and we don't actually meditate on it day and night, observing to do according to all that is written therein so that God can make out, God can, uh, when we do that, we, we meditate on it day and night and observe to do according to all that is written therein, then we'll make our way prosper. God will, will begin to do things that God told us to do and then we'll make our way prosper. But most of us don't take time to meditate. Look at what this passage says, guys. It says what? You can make many plans. How many of y'all have done that before? But the Lord's purpose will prevail. Let's read it out loud again. It says what? You can make many plans. Let's make it personal. Say what? I can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Go back to Romans 8 chapter, verse number 28 through 30 again. I've taken off scriptures. Romans 8 chapter, verse number 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 29 says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verse number 30, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his what? Glory. Now, again, I I told you uh, on last week that we understand that growth in Christ is best experienced through authentic community with other believers. And we looked at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's go back there to verse chapter four. Let's start at verse number 11 in Ephesians chapter four, verse number 11. Authentic community means that I have to choose to engage with people of like-minded faith. I have to choose to involve. I have to choose to do life together with other believers. Now, how many of you know that you can come to church and not really do life together with fellow believers. You can be a member of a church, show up for the teaching ministry, but but as soon as the teaching ministry is over, as soon as that gathering is over, you can depart to your house and never see another church member again till you come back to church next Sunday. How many of y'all know that's happening all across America today? But what I would submit to you is that if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to be learned ones, It takes more than that. That means that many of us in this church have to make a conscious decision that we're going to change the way we do life. If God is going to utilize us to advance kingdom principles, can I get a witness? So we got to be willing to engage. We got to be willing to to, to be equipped. We got to be willing to be empowered with the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry. Look at what the text says here. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. He says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. He gave these gifts Amen. To equip the body so that the body can build the church up so that we can be advanced to kingdom principles. Can I get a witness? Look at verse number 12, just for good measure. It says, uh, verse number 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God wants us to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, how many of y'all are willing to raise your hands right now and admit that you don't measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ right now? I'm I'm raising both hands. 
man, I, I want to, I'm striving, but I'm not there yet. And neither are you. So as long as we're in these bodies, we should be striving to be more like Christ, to measure up to the complete and full standard of Christ. And that's why we need these gifts in the body to help equip us so that we can start to measure up. Now, we won't ever get to perfection until we see him face to face. Because my Bible tells me when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be just like him. We're going to be transformed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. We're going to have a, a, a transformation that takes place. But while we're here on this earth, every day that we're saved, guys, we should be looking more and more like Christ. Every day that we're saved, some stuff ought to be dropping off of us. Come on now. You know, that, that cussing that you used to do, that, that, that should have, you should do, right? I said that cussing that you used to do. I said <laughs> that cursing that you used to do should have been, it, you know, you've been saved 20 years, it should have fell off after year one or two. After you hang around enough discipling believers who are going to begin to take time to do life with you. And, and, and when you say something ugly, they say, hey, now, brother, come on, now, you know better than that. God gave you more words to, to say than that. How about praise the Lord instead of whatever? See, stuff has to drop off because the more we grow, the more we look like Christ. Can I get a witness? So we want to try to, to get equipped so that we can be in a position to where Christ Jesus can, can be the true Lord of our life. Again, the purpose of those giftings we lifted in verse number 11 is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ. Now let's take a study of, of the men that Jesus cho chose because I'm telling you that God is calling all of us to advance kingdom principles. But let's look at the study of, of the men that Jesus chose. So, so Jesus called 12 disciples after an all-night prayer session. Let's go to Luke chapter number 6, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 12. Luke chapter number 6, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 12. Glory to God. The text says, it's one day soon after Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God, what? Y'all not reading with me? Come on, let's go. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he what? He prayed to God. Say, say it again. He prayed to God all night. Verse 13, let's go. At daybreak, he called together all his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Watch this. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Next verse says what? Stop there. Okay, we're we good. That's all of them. All right, stop right there. Jesus, again, watch this. Uh, he, he, he prayed all night. I, I want you to catch this right now because here, listen to what happened here. This decision that Jesus is making here in this passage it's one of the most paramount decisions he would have ever made because these were going to be the guys who were going to carry on the gospel message once Jesus, amen, ascended back up into heaven from this earth. Everybody with me today? And, 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 and before Jesus makes this decision, he, he's discussing and he's sharing with God. How many of y'all take time to talk to God and to labor with God before you make a major decision. Amen. 
It was a critical moment. It was a momentous decision. Think about it for a second. The destiny of the entire world and, and, and the fate of mankind was going to be entrusted to these men that Jesus was choosing to be his apostles. They were going to carry the message, guys, of salvation to the world. And if they fail, the world would be lost and man would be doomed for eternity. Jesus needed to know exactly who to choose. Let me ask y'all a question right quick. Have you ever chosen somebody and you realize later on it was a mistake? Have you ever chose somebody to work for you? Have you ever chose somebody to be in a relationship with you? I mean, like y'all going together. Y'all know, is that still, y'all are dating. Y'all not just kicking it. Y'all know what kicking it is, right? Kicking it means there's no, there's no, there's no attachment. We just, we just do our thing. You know, when we get together, you know, we, you know, we have a little sex and then we go and do it. We have no, 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 no Christian should be kicking it. Look at me, Christians. You ought not be kicking it with nobody. You ought to be, if, if you're single and you are dating, you should have relationship, uh, um, you should have relationship longevity in mind in, in terms of if you're at a certain age, don't just be dating just to be dating. You got to be thinking, okay, where am I? Where is this? Where is this relationship headed? Right? All right. Where is this relationship headed? So many, many of us know that we made wrong choices and wrong decisions before, right? And I would bet you that a lot of times it because, it's because we didn't bathe it genuinely, fervently in prayer. We didn't consult God at the level that we should have. Jesus knew that, 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 that he needed to make a choice here and he needed to know exactly who to choose. So he needed to talk to the matter over with the father. He needed to be spiritually renewed. He needed his spirit and mind quick and sharp and full of God's presence as he made this critical choice here. So he prayed. He prayed, guys. But he not only prayed, he wrestled with God all night in prayer. If I say all night again. Now notice, notice he, 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 Jesus got alone on top of a mountain when he would not, where he would not be disturbed. In all honesty, guys, how many minutes do we spend in prayer a day? I want you to think about that for a second. How many minutes in prayer do you spend each day? I know 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 says uh, to pray without ceasing. And, and, and that means to have a continual prayer life. And, and a lot of us pray through, how many of y'all pray throughout the day? We pray throughout the day and when we pray throughout the day, we end up being in a situation where we, we do talk to God. And when we talk to God, we end up, you know, having these little, you know, God help me, help me do this task I got to do at work. God help me do this, help me do this. And all those things come in our mind. But I'm talking about fervent, concentrated prayer. How much time do you spend in fervent, concentrated prayer. That's what Jesus was doing here. There's a difference between what we, I'm calling concentrated prayer, this all-night prayer meeting, and fellowship prayer, that prayer that, that's throughout the day when you, you at work, you're like, help me, Jesus. Now, that's, that's prayer, right? How many of y'all ever said, help me, Jesus, at work? Um, <laughs> we were ordering some food uh, on yesterday at, at a local restaurant establishment, and the young lady who, who was taking our order I don't know if she was new, but she, she had trouble understanding real. I mean, uh, she, you know, we would say one thing, she would say something different. And it wasn't because she couldn't hear us, but here, 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 here's the problem. What we were asking her was not on that button on that cash register. 
And how many of y'all know that a lot of folks, if it ain't on that button, they can't think outside of that button on that cash register. We were asking for something. It wasn't very hard, and we had asked for it before, but it just discombobulated this young lady. And she said, help me, Jesus. <laughs> and we put the phone on me and said, yeah, he needs to help you. Because she was totally confused, guys. So, so we have those moments where we have that, what I call that fellowship prayer. We say, Lord, Lord, I need your help right now. Or we just kind of cursory go to God. And we need those kind of times. But there are times, guys, when we need concentrated prayer. Praying as we walk throughout the day is good and it's commendable. But praying throughout the day by just flipping our minds to God for a moment here and there, that's not concentrated prayer. Not the kind of prayer that really moves the hand of God and causes things to happen. Thinking and talking to God here and there is what I call fellowship prayer. You, 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 you fellowship, you, you letting God know that you know he's there. But there are some times, guys, we got to do like Jesus. When there are decisions to be made, when there's course of action and purpose and life purpose to be determined, it takes concentrated prayer. Everybody say concentrated prayer. Because see, fellowship prayer is somewhat easy. You know, just thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. And that's all you say and you go on. Yeah, you pray, but there needs to be some concentrated prayer. The kind of prayer that causes you to labor and to wrestle with God. Amen. A time that you set aside when, when, when you get all alone with God and you share specific matters with him. Christ sets a dynamic example of concentrated prayer in this passage that we just read. But that's not the only time he did it. Let's look at some other scriptures. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. Watch what these scriptures all have in common. Mark 1, verse number 35. Y'all there? Let's read together. It says what? And in the morning, rising up a great while, what? Before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he did what? Come on, I need y'all to read, to read it with me. Y'all to view via live stream. Let's read this together. It says what? And in the what? Morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he did what? He prayed. Look at this next one. Let's go to uh, Mark the sixth chapter, verse number 46. It says that, and when he had sent them what? away, he departed into a mountain to pray. He sent them away, sent the crowd away. He departed into a mountain to pray. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at this next verse, Luke 5, 16. Watch this. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and did what? Pray. Here we see Jesus consistently isolating himself, getting away from the family, getting away from the disciples, getting away from the followers, getting away from the crowd so he could spend some time in concentrated prayer. Look at Luke 22 and 41 with him right quick. Well, back up. Let's go to Luke 9 and 18. Look at Luke, Luke 9 and 18. No, Luke 22 and 41. I'm sorry. Luke 22 and 41. Text says what? And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and did what? And pray and kneel down and pray. Now, the first scripture that I read to you, Mark 1 35 says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. 
Now, guys, I'm going to say something here, and I think it's really important. I think it's good to get your day started with concentrated prayer. You know, our family, since we started prayer, Connect Wednesday, has been praying every Wednesday. Now, since some work schedules and school schedules, Junior's back in school, Sunday's working, uh, has changed. The uh, last couple of weeks, we decided, okay, we're going to do it at 9 o'clock at night. And how many of y'all know that's been a mistake? Let me say it again. It's been a mistake because here's what we've learned. When you get up early in the morning and get it started, get your prayer time before the day gets started, you have less distraction. Throughout the course of a day, things happen. Things happen on Wednesday evening. And in the last couple of Wednesdays, we, we, we bumped last Wednesday to Thursday, but this past Wednesday we missed because I'm thinking we're going to go back. As a matter of fact, I'm making a family decision. I'm, as, as for me and my house, we're going to pray at 630 in the morning on Wednesday. Because, guys, so much starts to happen that we get distracted throughout the day. And then by the time nine o'clock rolls around, sometimes you're tired. How many of y'all get tired at nine? Some of y'all lucky tired now. You ain't going to wait till nine o'clock. Listen to me, guys. Jesus, the Bible says, and in the morning rising up what? A great while before day, before the sun came up. Jesus was already up. Let me say that. Before the sun came up, S-U-N, the sun, S-O-N, was already up. I like that. See, guys, there's something about early. Everybody say early. Everybody say early. Come on, come on. Early. To spend concentrated time in prayer. That was his pattern, guys. Jesus chose his men from among his disciples. And there were, there were a large number of people following Jesus as disciples. A disciple in this context was a learner, but a disciple in that day was much more than what we mean by a student who just studies a subject taught by the teacher. A disciple was a person who attached himself to his teacher and who followed his teacher wherever he went studying and learning all he could from that teacher's life as well as from his word. So these disciples would follow Jesus. They would go around with him, sit with him, hear him, amen, interface with religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees who were trying to trap him. They, they followed Jesus. They were with them learning and going about doing life together with them. Now, note that Jesus called his disciples to him. He called all those who were, who had attached themselves to him. And, and out of those disciples, he called 12 apostles because again, he spent all night in prayer. Now guys, I will tell you, we're going to look at something here. Even though Jesus spent all night in prayer, he picked these 12. These 12 still have some stuff in them that need to come out. Just like he went to the cross of Calvary, died for our sins, Amen. Was was crucified, buried, and resurrected, so you and I can have a right to the tree of life. When we ask Him to come in our heart and save us, He comes in and saves us. But we still have baggage and stuff that God's got to deal with, so that we can be pushed forth on the mission field and be that perfect example, that an example, that ambassador for Christ, replicating His image in the earth realm. These twelve men 
Guys, listen carefully. These 12 men were all very ordinary people. All very ordinary people. They were without any kind of distinction socially, financially, uh, and from the standpoint of educational special gift. They were not anybody what you would call special. But yet God called them. Amen. This should be, again, a, a source of encouragement for all of us. I told you before. Why? Because we, we see that God can use ordinary folks. And if they make themselves available, everybody say available. Now, as a pastor of, a, of the EB embassy for the last 31 years, here's what I've discovered. Every member of EBC don't make themselves available to serve. Don't make themselves available to be disciple. Won't make themselves available to learn and to grow. They just want to come to church. I need y'all to watch me. They just want to come to church. And as your pastor, my job that God has given me is to feed you with wisdom and knowledge from high and to challenge you and to exhort you to be more than just a church member. Isn't that interesting that we don't want to just be just a regular employee, we want to get promoted, we want to get more money? How many of y'all want more money in your job? Uh, No, 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 no. I need to see your hand. I I, I know, how many of y'all want some more money? Now, if you don't want it, get your raise and give it to me. Come on, y'all. You think, well, that ain't spiritual. Yes, it is spiritual. Jesus gave the parable of the talents. And when the parable of the talents, he gave one five, one, two, the other one. And, and, and he judged them based off of their ability to increase what he had put into their hands. So I want God to increase me so that, he, so that I can be entrusted with more. Are you with me today? So there's nothing wrong with wanting uh, to have more money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Don't love it. I was reading this story uh, just on yesterday. This guy from, from the lower knife ward in, 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 in New Orleans got killed. But this guy, uh, his sister said this, uh, and she quoted this to the, to, the, to the journalist. This guy ended up getting killed. But what he was doing, his lifestyle was he would actually stage accidents with 18 wheelers in order to collect insurance money and they would they would get different people and they would what they end up doing one of the ways they they got caught was they would have accidents at the same intersection all the time and he would what they would do is he would be in there driving and he have a spotter car behind him and he put other people in there so they can get more money and he would he would see an 18 wheeler get ready to now this is dangerous stuff now don't y'all try this amen because it's illegal he would see an 18-wheeler get ready to change lane. He would speed up in their blind spot and allow the 18-wheeler to hit them. And then they'd get connected with some crooked lawyer and then sue the company uh, and collect insurance money. But his sister said he was a nice guy. He just loved money. And the love of money caused that guy to do that. Now, he died because I think the feds were coming in and, and they, they ended up busting their ring up and I guess somebody thought he was going to talk. And they ended up killing him. But the love of money will have you doing stuff. Y'all remember the OJs, don't you? Money, money, money. Money. Some people got to have it. Some people really need it. Do things, do things. Bad things. That's what the OJ said. 
When you have the love of money, you'll do crazy stuff to get money. But there's nothing wrong with believers wanting increase so that we can be a blessing to those who come across our path. God don't have a problem with you having money. As a matter of fact, he blesses us to what? To be a blessing. Amen? So I'm going back again. How many of y'all want to raise your job? How many of y'all want to increase in your business? There's nothing wrong with that. God blesses us to do what? To be a blessing. Because the more I have, the more I can bless somebody else. If I ain't got nothing, how am I going to bless you? I mean, if you're in need. Are you following me? So guys, we, we, we got to realize that, 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 that God will take, amen, he will take us and he will, he, will, he, will, he will actually build us up and put us in a position where we can be in, in a place where we can bless others. Amen? So, so guys, nothing wrong with being blessed, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Don't love money so much that you do anything for you, you lie for you, you cheat, you steal. Can I get a witness? Now, now guys, watch this, watch this. Let's get back to our, our, our text here. These 12 men, again, were ordinary men. They were not anything special as far as society was concerned, but see, God will take the ordinary and do extraordinary things with it. Amen. He can enable us, even as born-again believers, to do some extraordinary things. And this study of these 12 men, the men Jesus chose, uh, shows us very clearly that if a person is going to change, it's going to be because God is working in that person's life through the Holy Spirit. And we see these guys that had uh, had some had some issues. I mean, they were not they, they were diverse personalities. As a matter of fact, in this group they they were diverse. There were at least three businessmen: Peter, James, and John. All three of them were fishermen with rather large businesses. Okay, and one you, you remember the time in Luke the fifth chapter where they had been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing, and then Jesus said, "Let me use your boat." And when they let him use the boat, uh, Jesus preached on the boat, but then he blessed them because they let him use what they had to do ministry. And he told them, I'm going to give you a new paradigm, a new way of doing business. I want you to, I want you to push out. Okay, I, I want you to, I want you to fish now in the daytime. You don't normally do that and, and drop your nets down. And when they did it, guess what happened? All of the nets began to break because of the amount of fish that was in those nets. And that fish in the net represented what? Money in the bank. Because they would go and sell the fish to get money in their accounts. See, God has a way of blessing us when we allow him to use what we have. So, so they had those three fishermen and one apostle, uh, Matthew, the tax, he was a tax collector. He was probably wealthy because tax collectors in those days cheated the Jews. He was a Jewish tax collector who cheated his own people. The Jews were under Roman oppression and they would hire Jewish people to collect tax. But the Jewish tax collector would add on to what he was collecting. So Matthew was a tax collector. He was probably a wealthy man because his house must have been big enough because there was a large, when you look at Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 27 through 29, there was a large enough, it was large enough to handle a huge crowd for a large feast that was there, that Jesus was at. And one of, one of these guys uh, was a was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot is? Zealots were pledged to overthrow the Roman government. Actually, they when they saw Roman officials, they made pledges to assassinate them. So Jesus called an assassin to be a disciple. He called a killer to be one of his disciples. See, it doesn't matter where you've been, when you come to Jesus, it's where you're going. 
He chose a killer. Simon the Zealot was an insurrectist. He was a person who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. They would, they would actually kill Roman officials. So Jesus calls an assassin to be a disciple. Now, guys, listen to me carefully. I could go on down the line. There were other ones who were, Nathaniel, who was, by all accounts, was deeply religious. But you had, you had all these different guys, these, this eclectic group of men who Jesus, after praying all night, called them to be his apostles. He called all the disciples together, which was a big group, but he called it out and called out 12. And y'all know one of them was named Judas Iscariot, don't you? Now watch this, watch this. Christ, in calling these guys, amen, prayed to his father. He prayed concentrated prayer. And what I'm trying to get each of us to understand is there's going to be times in our lives, guys, where we got to spend time. We got to pull away from the family, pull away from the husband, pull away from the wife, pull away from the kids and go down in concentrated prayer. Get down on your knees if you have to or or sit in the chair if you have to raise your hand if you want to. But concentrated prayer means that I am sincerely bombarding heaven. Amen. And seeking God's direction for for my course of action, for my purpose in life as I move in this particular direction. So look at look at these. uh, These guys here um, uh, had some deficiencies in their ability to take over the ministry of the church. So Jesus had to work with it. Right. How many of you know that when you were called and I'm a call, we have some deficiency. Thank God we're not where we used to be, but we're not where we're going to be or where we need to be. How many of y'all can think of some things that right now you've overcome since you've been saved? I, I need some hands raised. See, listen, until, until, here's what I firmly believe. Until you messed up royally and had somebody to forgive you for messing up royally, I don't think you really truly understand the love of God, the agape love of God. See, the agape love of God, Sister Gwen, uh, is, is that love that, that, that just don't make sense. Agape love is that unconditional love, that love that says my love for you is not predicated on how good you are. My love for you is predicated on how good God is. And I'm going to love you through your mess. Until you have somebody love you through your mess, I I, I would argue that you don't really understand truly what agape love is all about. Because you can't see God. You, you can say, okay, God, forgive me. Don't nobody know about this but me and God. And so God forgave me. But what, was, what, is it, what happens when somebody knows your mess up? And they walk through it with you. And they help to restore you. Man, you truly begin to understand what agape love is all about. Can I get a witness? Watch this right quick. So, so they were unprepared. Even after Jesus prayed all night. See, God don't call perfect people for ministry. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. See, he doesn't call perfect people. That's why we got to learn to engage. We got to get equipped so we can be empowered to do the work of ministry. So we all got some deficiency. Number one, look at this right quick. They lack spiritual understanding. Go to Mark, the seventh chapter, verse number 17. So what's, what's the, what's, what's, they, they were deficient in five important areas. Number one, they lack spiritual understanding. How many of y'all have been in church? You know church, but you lack spiritual understanding. 
Ah, oh, come on now. How many of y'all have learned some things, spiritually speaking, that you didn't know initially in your faith walk? Come on. In other words, there were some things you thought were a certain way because of where you grew up, but you found out when you got in the word of God that wasn't truth. Watch what the text says in Mark chapter 7, verse number 17. They lack spiritual understanding. And in the church today, we got, we got too many people, even some who are holding office, even some who are ministers, teachers, uh, in, in positions where they influence people and they ain't got spiritual understanding. They look at church like, like it's a, a club or something or, or you, know, you know, if you do it this time, number of times, I get the same number of turns. Or if you sing a song, I need to sing a song too. And you're looking at, you're looking at ministry as a comparison thing. Well, how many times you preach? How many times he preached? How come he didn't let you preach? How come you didn't do that? How come did, comparing? That's, guys, that is carnal minded. We need to be spirit minded. The Corinthian church was very carnal minded. Look at what the text says. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Look at verse 18. Watch this. Don't you understand? These are the guys that Jesus called alongside him. These are the guys he prayed for all night. He says, don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? See, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, were concerned about uh, dietary restrictions. And what Jesus was letting the disciples know, it's not what goes in the body that defiles you. Because Jesus said, ultimately, what goes in your body is going to come out. How many of y'all know we all, whether we drink or eat, what we put in got to come out? Amen. So, so he says, it's not what you put in your body to defile you, but it's what comes out of you, out of your heart. Those, those things that, that, that pursue, that, that come out of our heart, that's what messes us up. So, so, so how did Jesus overcome this weakness? The lack of spiritual honor, he, he overcame it by teaching them. He taught them. See, that's why as your pastor, I want to teach you. Matthew 5, 1 and 2, the parables were uh, you know, we, we see uh, he taught them, but the parables that Jesus used were all designed to teach the disciples. Let's go to Mark chapter four, verse 33 and 34. Mark chapter four, verses 33 and 34. Glory to Mark chapter four, verses 33 and 34. See, Jesus when you look at him, he used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, his public, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Watch what Mark, the fourth chapter, verse number 33 says. Y'all there? Let's read together. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. Look at the next verse. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables, but afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So the cure for lack of spiritual understanding is teaching. That's why 
I harp on the teaching ministry. Now, let me, say, let me share something with you, child of God, that's going on culturally that maybe you missed because you're not out there. See, culturally speaking now, there, there are a group of people, young adults and you know, even those in, let's say, 40 and under, that nowadays, they're not just coming to church because you tell them about grandmama's faith. There is a, there is a group of folks that are out there now that, that want to know what you really believe. And they're catching hope because a lot of our churches are not teaching. Then now they're going after this strange doctrine. The black Hebrew Israelite stuff. All, all these other doctrines that the Jehovah Witnesses, where people are teaching them. And when you come to the average church, uh, I, I don't want to say average, but, but many of our Baptist churches, people don't even know what they believe. Because teaching ministry has not been emphasized. We need to know what we know. We need to understand sound biblical doctrine. But there's a generation out there now that wants to know. They don't want to just come and, and, and see you shout or hear you shout. They want to know what do you what does God's word say about my life and how can I apply it to my life? There's a lot of confusion going on in the community, y'all. And so people aren't just coming to church because grandma went to church. There are a lot of folks who are absent from the church, and we as a body of believers have to make sure that we're doing our part to go and reach them, okay? So they lack understanding, and the cure for lack of understanding is what? Teaching. He taught them. Spend time. And that's why I'm encouraging every last one of you all, if you are a member of this church, sign up for the class that's coming up for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's, it's, listen, sign up. I don't care if you don't have the $20. I don't care. If, sign up. Let me know. If you let me know, I want you to have the book. I want you to go through the course with it because it's critically important that we get the, the stuff that's hindering us from being true to the disciples. We got we to gotta, we gotta root that stuff out of us, okay? So they lack understanding. And Jesus addressed that through teaching. Number two, these men lacked humility. They lacked humility. Go to Mark, the, the ninth chapter, verse number 37. Now, verse number 32 through 37. They lack humility. Now, these are guys, hear me carefully. These are the men that Jesus chose to be his apostles, to carry on the ministry. Why you keep, why you keep saying that, Pastor? Because I want you to understand something. All of us have to be careful in our own walk with the Lord that we don't start looking at and pointing out everybody else's stuff when we got stuff ourselves. Now, we ought to deal with stuff that's open sin. Come on. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is nobody in here has it all together. The guys that Jesus chose after praying all night has some deficiencies. They lack spiritual understanding. But he cured that by teaching them through parables primarily. Look at what the text says. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Now, here they are. Jesus had been discussing some things, and these guys sitting around, they didn't know what he was saying, but they were afraid to ask him. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Asking questions is not a sign of weakness or, or, or sign that you, that, that you are... Uh, a dumb. There's no dumb question except the one that's not asked. When, on your job, when you don't know something, don't pretend like you know it. If you're at home and there's something to be done around the house and you don't know how to do it, don't pretend like you know how to do it and mess the whole thing up and cost yourself double money. 
you don't, don't hook the wire to something that it wasn't supposed to go to and don't burn the whole utility room up. And then had you just called the electrician and paid the man. <laughs> Brother Lars, am I right about it? Call the man, pay the man, and get it done right instead of burning your house down. Are you with me? So we, we get, and even in the church, if that's not something we don't understand, ask. If there's a scripture reference that, 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 that you don't, don't understand, ask. Let's go into the scripture and reach in together. Amen? But don't pretend like you, that, that, that's the ultimate in pride when we're not willing to ask questions. Are y'all with me? We, we are learners. When we are, when we are disciples, we are learners. That means that there's stuff that we got to, there's stuff that we don't know that we need to know. So ask questions. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Look at verse number 33. That, that's for somebody at work. Some of y'all, that, when you don't know something at work, ask. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the road? Watch this now. What were you discussing out on the road? Next verse says what? Let's read. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing, come on now, about which one of them was the greatest. Ain't that a blip? This happens in the church. He's a better preacher. He's, she's a better singer. He's a better singer. Oh, they can do that better. He's a better teacher. We can, they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Now watch. See, see Jesus is wiser than all of us. You, listen, you can't wake up. Listen, every day that you wake up, you know, don't ever think that you are, are one day smarter than Jesus because you never can outsmart the, the Christ, the son of the living God. They didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Look at the next verse. It says what? He sat down called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, that's radically different than what most of us think. Most of us think, if I'm going to be the greatest, I'm going to be in a leadership position. That means that, put, give me a title. I'm so sick of folk running out the titles. A title don't make you a leader. Come on. Just because you got a title or a license don't mean that you're effective. Can I get a witness? He sat down, called his 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Look, watch this example. Then he, put a little, then he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them what? Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes not only me, but also my father who did what? My father who sent me. See, they were worried about who's the greatest and Jesus called them out. So guys, I'm going to tell you something. They lacked humility. How did Jesus overcome their lack of humility? By way of example. Go to John the 13 chapter right quick. John 13 verse number one. He overcame their lack of humility by way of example. Teaching. See, example setting is very important. Your children learn more from what they see you do than what you say. Hello. I'm going to say it again. Your children learn 
more from you by what they see you do rather than what you say. Your children live with you and they know if you really trust in God and talking about God at home. They know if y'all ain't never prayed together. They know if you cussing your husband out or you cussing your wife out at home. They know if you cussing them out. I don't know something about a cussing spirit today. Why am I on that? Using profanity. And we got political leaders who just use for, for profanity just flippantly and on, and over the public airways now as if it's no big deal. It is a big deal for me when you're talking foul language. I can't stand foul language. I think it's an affront to God and it's a disrespect to, to those who are around you, and particularly your children. If you don't want your children to say it, you shouldn't be saying it. He taught them by way of example. Watch this, guys. Y'all know the story. I, I got I to gotta go through it quick. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to lead this world and return to his father. He loved his disciples during his mission on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Watch what the text says. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon the Car- Judas, son of Simon the Car- Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. He had authority over everything. But watch this. He, Yvonne, had authority over everything. But he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped himself with a towel around his way. Look at the Bible said, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. He had authority over everything. But he stooped down to wash feet, to do the most menial task. This task was reserved for the, for the, the, the servant on the lowest rung of the ladder. And Jesus chose to step aside, gird himself with a towel to show them how to serve. If you're going to be first, you got to be last. If you're going to really be a leader, you got to be a servant. Amen. These men lacked humility, but Jesus overcame that by example. Now you, you can read the rest of it by, by showing them by way of example. The third thing, they all lacked faith. They all lacked faith. And he overcame their lack of faith through through performing many miracles. Look at Mark 4th chapter, verse number 35 through 41 right quick. Come on, let's go. They all lack faith. He called them, but they lack faith. Some of y'all have been called, but you lack faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Y'all know the story. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out. Now Jesus said, Let's cross over, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Text says what? But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. But they had a word from the master who said, let us go across to the other side. Let me tell you something right now. When you got a word from the master, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. Stand on that word. Speak that word over your situation and trust that his word is true. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going, we're going, we're going to drown? Master cares not that we perish, what the KJV says. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still, peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Watch this. 
do you still have no faith? Now watch this. When somebody say, you still messing around with that thing? Are you still fighting that battle? That means they know you've been fighting that battle before. Jesus said, do you still have no faith? Guys, listen to me carefully. They lack faith, but he overcame their lack of faith through the working of many miracles. And, and, and uh, look, when you get home, look up John 11 and 15. I don't have time to go today. Fourth thing, they all lack commitment. Called, but lack commitment. Look at Mark the 14th chapter, verse number 43 through 50. Come on, let's go. Mark the 14th chapter, verse 43 through 50. Glory to God. They all lacked commitment. How, how many of y'all, how many of y'all will be honest enough to say there have been times since you've been saved that you were not really committed to the work? I mean, you, you went through a dry period. The study we talked about, we're going to be doing on emotional health and spirituality, talk about the fact that all at some point in time we hit a wall. And we got to let God heal us. Text says this, and immediately, even as Jesus said to said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. Text says the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. Text says as soon as they arrived, Judas woke, walked up to Jesus, Rabbi. He exclaimed and gave him the kiss. Watch out for the kisses of the enemy, baby. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Text says this, Jesus asked him, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you, you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Text says, then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. See, some folks, you'll know who your true friends are when you get in trouble. When you're going through something. Do they abandon you? All his disciples deserted him and ran away. They were not committed at this point. Guys, so how did Jesus overcome this obvious fault? Through prayer. And just write down Luke 22. Verse 31 through 32. He prayed for them. John 17 chapter, verse number nine. Write those down. It's, it's, on, your, it's on your app. Your notes on the app. You got it there. Jesus prayed for them. And I think it's in the 17th chapter where he's, he's praying to the Father. One of the prayers he prayed, primary prayers he prayed before he ascended back up in heaven. He says, Father, I want them to be as one as we are one. He said, he said bless them, be with them. I mean, he, he, he said, not only them, but those who believe in my name as a result of their ministry. He's, he was praying for us, y'all. So they all lack commitment. And as a pastor of this church, I've, I've discovered that there are some people who are not committed, simply are not committed. I love you, but you're not committed. You're not committed to supporting financially. You're not committed to being a disciple by being a learned one. I love you. And you're saved, you're going to heaven, but you're just not committed to to, to going further in Christ. And, and God wants that for you. But remember I told you when we first started, I read the story, uh, read the, the little nugget. Guys, when, when we refuse to change, we end up in chains. When God is showing us what to do, it's one thing if you don't know. I told you before, it'd be better for you to be in a church that don't teach you nothing than to be in a church where you know and then don't do. 
Because to whom much is given, guess what? Much is required. And when God shows you his way, properly exegeted from the scripture text, shows you the course of action and the purpose for your life, and you refuse to do it, you end up in chains, being bound. Last thing. They all lack power. They lack power. Go to Matthew the 17th chapter, verse number 14 through 16. They lack power. How did Jesus overcome their lack of power? He sent the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Glory to God. We will talk about empowerment next week. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, watch this. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. They didn't have the power. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus knew the deficiency of his apostles. How did he address their lack of power? He sent the Holy Ghost. He told them that I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And you're going to see there's a radical difference in the, in, in the, in the goings and comings of his apostles and his disciples once they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And too many Christians are trying to live this life apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the empowering and filling presence of Holy Ghost. Being a good Baptist won't allow you to do certain things that God has set your hand to. you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're going to talk about that empowerment on next week because he has equipped us, but if we're being equipped but we're not empowered, then we're still not going to accomplish the thing that God has set our hands to accomplish. God wants you. He loves you. He, he's calling every one of us to be a learned one, to fulfill our purpose. Let's get engaged. Let's get equipped. And let's get empowered. Because Jesus loves us and wants the very best for us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.